Welcome to Hard Sell, a podcast where my friend and I give each other the hard sell on a piece of media we like, like a video game, uh, movie, book, or podcast musical. My name's Tim Bloom. I'm Cody Morin. And I'm Cozy Hanula. Uh, Cody and Cozy, today, for the intro, uh, I want to bring back an old staple, not necessarily from the podcast, but just from my life, which is where I rant about something, if that's okay with you guys. Sounds um, about right. Are you able to rant without pacing back and forth? It's tough. You're gonna have some editing to do <laughs> as I like mo- wiggle things around on the desk and like fidget uh, broadly because I can't. I can't pace. Um, Cody, how much attention do you pay to baseball, specifically to the New York Yankees? Uh, literally zero. That is what I thought. So I'll start at the beginning. Um, the New York Yankees are supposed to be good. That's sort of the promise of the New York Yankees. Is they're That's the best team. Thing. It's their thing. They've won twice as many World Series as anyone else. Uh, some of that is payroll related. I'm not going to lie. I am a Yankees fan, uh, so I am biased. But like, the Yankees don't have the biggest payroll in baseball. They, through their history, have sometimes had the biggest payroll in baseball, but not always. They just are a very good team that historically has been run very well. Um, That's not been true for the past... Now we're coming up on 20-ish years. Uh, It's been about 15 years since they won a World Series. Um, I think it's been about 15 years since they were last in played in a World Series, which for the Yankees is an eternity. For the Twins is like your regular 15-year lifespan yes par Um, for the course par for the course par for the course um but expectations are higher in new york payrolls higher expectations are higher it's it's part of the gig and the yankees were supposed to be good this year there were like a number of so they were supposed to be good to not make this intro like forever long if this was me ranting just to cozy a like cozy said i'd be pacing b uh this would be about 45 to 50 minutes long and we try to keep the podcast to about an hour an hour and a half so i'll give the very very abbreviated version of this basically everything that could have possibly gone wrong for the yankees this season went wrong uh the front office made terrible decisions there were like obvious holes in the roster that they just didn't fill with players or filled with like players who were so bad no other team wanted them on their minor league teams uh and just sort of like filled those slots with those players. They traded away promising young players who went on to do great things in exchange for like veterans who were old and hurt and bad. Uh, They made good acquisitions of players who seemed like they would be good, who then became old, hurt, and bad very quickly. Um, And their best players have sucked broadly or been hurt or old or bad. Um, So even the things that should have gone well have gone badly uh similar to ferrari to be honest now that i'm thinking about it and when <laughs> you we were initially talking about formula one you were like ferrari is similar to the yankees and they are and ferrari and uh the yankees are having similar seasons and so i have been in a you know the arsenal season just starting it's going okay so far but up until this point i've been in a true like summer of sports misery uh, and in this moment, I, I really just sort of want to wallow in in that for our intro here. Well, hey, Arsenal almost won last season, right? Shut up, Cody. Um, 
Yes, they almost won, which hey is better than the Yankees or <laughs> Ferrari. So very true. You know what? I gotta take what I can get. However, there is reason for optimism with the Yankees, which is that they have been so bad. And to be clear, so bad for the Yankees is their record right now at the time of recording is like sixty four and seventy. So they're not even like a terrible team. They're not they're not like there are some historically bad baseball teams this season. They're just bad. They just middle of the pack. Right, but they also play in by far the toughest division in baseball. The way baseball Mm -hmm. works is you you get playoff spots based on your division. It's just like football. Uh, And the division the Yankees are in is so much better than every other division in the American League that even at like 64 and 70, which is almost 500, the Yankees are like 20 games back from the division. Uh, And they are like 10 games back from the next closest team. So they're in last place in the division um, by a huge margin with a month left to go in the season. Uh, So normally... This would be the time, or let's be honest, about a month ago would be the time where I would stop paying attention to the Yankees entirely. There's no chance they're going to make the postseason. Even if they had somehow gone on to make the postseason, there's no chance they're going to go far. However, this terribleness has forced the Yankees to give up, basically, and waive a bunch of their players who are on expiring contracts. Should they have traded them for assets at the trade deadline? Yes, but we don't have time to talk about that. Um, (laughs) To just release them and get rid of them and instead promote a bunch of promising young players. Um, And that is, like, one of my favorite things in sports. Like, I love roster construction. God, that's the nerdiest sentence I've said (laughs) in a minute. I mean, football manager is like your favorite game. So entirely yeah, that's unsurprising. True. <laughs> that's true. I I am typecast pretty well. Um, <laughs> I love like I love roster construction, like the theory of like how you retool teams and stuff like that. And there's li- other than winning championships, there is little that is more fun, in my opinion, as a sports fan. It's part of why I liked Arsenal. We talked about it in the all or nothing Arsenal uh, episode when I pitched that to you of like. It's so fun to watch, like, exciting, likable, promising, like, young players come into their own on your team. Uh, and so this has happened increasingly as the season has gone on. Uh, even at the start of the season, the Yankees promoted Anthony Volpe, who's like a 21-year-old. Generally, prospects who come up from the majors to... um or come up from the minors to Major League Baseball are somewhere in their mid-20s. Usually, they often go to college first and go to college for four years. Then you're in the minors generally for somewhere between two and four years before you get promoted to Major League Baseball. Um, But, like, he's a very young player. They promoted him right out of spring training, and he's been a a pretty solid shortstop for them. Uh, and has gotten increasingly good as the season has gone on. And as their hope has dwindled and the losses have piled up, they have increasingly promoted more and more super promising young players. And I have now watched more Yankees baseball in the past like month than I did in the previous two or three months now that they're fully out of postseason contention. <laughs> um, the reason I bring this up today is today is September 1st, which means baseball players baseball teams can promote more players to their roster without 
without risking losing them, it's very complicated. It doesn't matter. The point being, today they promoted two of their most promising prospects, um, including one named Jason Dominguez, who they signed as a 16-year-old four years ago from the Dominican Republic and has spent almost no time in the minor leagues, but has, like, rocketed up every single one. Uh, And he came up today as a 20-year-old to play against a pitcher named Justin Verlander, who is one of the best pitchers in modern baseball history. Good enough Uh, that I've heard of him. Yeah, many people will have heard of Justin Verlander. Great pitcher. Will be a Hall of Famer for sure. Probably like a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, And Dominguez just drilled a home run off Verlander on the first major league pitch he saw in his career. Uh, and that happened like 20 minutes before we started recording. And so I'm I'm riding that high uh, in this moment, and that's what I really want to talk about. I'm basically fine with my team sucking as long as there are like exciting young players I can root for. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, but really, the reason I bring this up is because Jason Dominguez is a 16-year-old who has been heralded since he, you know, they signed him. He was like a, a prodigy. They're like, he's good at every single thing. It's He's barely human, uh, which gave him the nickname The Martian. Mm. Speaking of uh-huh. Martians, <laughs> Cody, I'll turn it over to you for this week's uh, review yeah. of XCOM. Yeah, there was lo- there were lots of jumping off points, and I was curious which one you were going to take. I didn't expect it to be that. Strong but, uh, left turn at the end there. Yeah, you were talking about like roster construction and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yep, I can see where this is going. But uh, uh-huh. no. Yeah, so last episode, Tim pitched me XCOM Enemy Unknown as a tactics game published by 2K, developed by Firaxis. You may be familiar with some of their other games like Civilization... Um, they made like some old Sid Meier games. I think their mm-hmm. most recent one is Marvel's Midnight Suns, maybe. Yeah, I think that's correct. Um, but XCOM Enemy Unknown is a remake or reboot of the 1994 game XCOM UFO Defense. Uh, and Martian leads into this because XCOM stands for Extraterrestrial Combat. Um, <laughs> It's very inventive acronym. Yes, very, very much so. Uh, you, as the player, control an el- like an elite paramilitary organization called XCOM, and as the game begins, an unknown alien species is invading Earth. Your task as the leader of XCOM is to defend countries around the globe, keep their morale high, keep your troops alive in very dangerous missions, um and simple missteps can be disastrous for your team. Um, Mm -hmm. Jumping right in to just the first bit of gameplay you get, um, you get a little cutscene, and then you get dropped into the tutorial mission where you're commanding, I think it was four soldiers, through, like, initial the initial contact where the aliens first invaded. You walk through some city Mm -hmm. streets, get into a building, find a person who's been, like, possessed, and very quickly like three of your four soldiers are killed. I don't recall if that I think great. one of them survives if I remember right. Uh, yeah, I believe so. But uh basically you have to like stand your ground and kill the aliens there, but I I think right off the bat the tutorial dropping you in like that does a really good job of teaching you everything you need to know to like get into the game. It teaches you the movement, it teaches you about taking cover and how important that is, it teaches you basic combat and lastly 
and importantly, it teaches you that some and or many of your soldiers will definitely die. Uh, because the <laughs> yeah, this is, is not a Fire Emblem game. No. Where, like, the goal is to get out of every mission with every soldier intact. Yeah, and, and so, like, I like... I'm usually a fan of tactics games, and I do like this one as well, generally. It's, it's punishing and difficult at times, but an advantage of something like this over Fire Emblem is, like, if people die, it might affect your head cannon for that character, mm-hmm. but it doesn't affect the actual, like, story uh, directly. Now, if a lot of your characters die and you're left with only <laughs> rookies, that could definitely affect the story. But, like, if I have a character die in Fire Emblem, my immediate thought is, like, well... Now I'm locked out of the rest of their story and anything that could have possibly branched off of it. Awesome. But mm-hmm. here, like, you know, it it's whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, soldiers will join your team. Soldiers will die. That's just kind of how the game is going to go. Um, yeah. It, it reminds me a little bit of, of what I liked about Hades, where, like, Hades... When you failed, it felt like that was in, an intended part of the game. And, like, uh, when you fail in Fire Emblem, it feels like you fucked up. Yes. It feels like you did a fuck up on it. And you it's on you now to reload and restart and then do better next time. Yep. Whereas, like, XCOM, you're kind of always playing the odds. You're generally, like, you're taking shots that have a certain percent chance to hit, and sometimes they're not going to hit. Sometimes enemies are just going to get crits, and you're going to lose units. And, like, setting up the tone that way, for me, made, like, failure a lot easier to take. Now, you are correct. If you have, uh, you bring all your veterans into a fight, and they all get got, sometimes you're kind of like, okay, I'm just, I'm going to have no way to advance if I don't save scum a little bit <laughs> yep. here. But in general, I felt like failure, fail, like a Fire Emblem game, I lose a mission. I lose a unit that I care about on a mission three times in a row, and I'm like, I'm done. I'm not trying this again. And I didn't run up into that friction so much on XCOM. Yeah, and I think um, I was reading into it a little bit, and I, was, uh, I had read that some people like uh, lead developer Jake Solomon on XCOM uh, stated that the quote, truest XCOM experience is with the inability to reload previous saved games. And to that I say, nah, Uh, (laughs) I'm a, I'm a bit of a notorious save scummer. I like to think, Um, Uh Cozy, are you familiar with that term? Yeah. Okay. I figured you were mostly because I play uh, like, KOTOR type games, or I've played a couple of them. Okay. Um, for people who aren't and are listening to this, it's basically the idea that uh, you save frequently in a game, and if things don't go your way, you just reload a previous save and keep going. Um, I think, for me, the reason I do it so much, it goes back to playing, originally going back uh, to playing like old JRPGs way back when I was yeah. a kid, and like being scared of my game getting into a soft lock state where like you can still play the game, but like because of a bug, you can't progress. And back then my PS two wasn't connected to the internet. So they couldn't just like patch it (laughs) without releasing an entire new disc or cartridge that I definitely wasn't going to buy. So 
Well, I just always make yeah, multiple save files. Yeah, that's the KOTOR experience yeah. <laughs> also. Uh, I mean, yeah, like, saves go... I don't... I believe if I'm going to make a choice in the game, I'm going to live with the consequences of it. I feel like it's more useful... Like, if you're going to go back and get yourself out of a bug, that's, like, that's not saves going to me. That's just, like, making sure the game is not, like, cheating you out of playing the game. True. Um, but, like... I so, I personally don't. I've not played this game, so I don't know anything about how it works in XCOM. Whatever. Uh, what is it called? XCOM Aliens Unknown. It's just XCOM Aliens I forgot. Um. So I Aliens. Um. So I. But like for a Kotor or something, like people use it if you like you you know you go and you have a dialogue option. You say the wrong one. Uh-huh. Someone gets like. I did that. Like, I remember having, like, bad consequences from KOTOR, but I just had to, like... Like, I think I, I got Karth's son killed because I did all their dialogue tree wrong, but I was like, well, I guess I live with that now because I'm not going back and being, like, redoing it just to get the best outcome. I feel like that <laughs> defeats the purpose of an RPG, but that's just my personal opinion. So here's what I will say if I can insert my thoughts on save scumming. So I generally agree of like i don't usually save scum to change story um but especially like old school jrpgs not only would you like soft lock because of a bug but there would be times like you would get into a boss room and you would real like if you had not divined that you might need to bring a certain item or a certain party Mm -hmm. member or something like that a Mm -hmm. given boss would be like impossible or if you had not grinded enough xp before a thing and then you couldn't go back and you were just like locked into this thing let me tell you how many final fantasy games i just had to quit because it it got to a point where i was like i clearly missed getting the xp i needed and so my choice is to either just bash my head against this until i get wildly lucky with crits and dodges for hours or restart the game from the the beginning or just quit and i will always pick just quit would give it those three (laughs) options um and so i would save scum to dodge that the other thing also though is like from in terms of like dialogue choices of getting something different old school games including like kotor sometimes would be wild like I would choose a dialogue option and be like, how do you feel about that? And then all of a sudden my character would say something like totally out (laughs) of pocket. Like, what do you mean you feel that way? And I'd be like, that is not what I felt like I selected at all. And so I would like save scum if I felt like something was totally, if I chose something. If it was mischaracterized by the game. Right. Mass Effect is is quite a bit where you choose like the renegade Uh option that's sort of like, don't fight that guy, and then all of a sudden you, like, pull out a gun and, like, shoot someone in the head. And I'm like, oh, my God, I did not mean to be quite so... You know, it's the classic, like, good is save the puppy, dark side is kill the puppy for no reason. Uh, And, like, sometimes I would save scum for those types of things. This... Games like this, I... I go back and forth. I wouldn't say I'm a serial save scummer, but I've been known to... uh, I've been known to try to get my way every once in a while. Yeah, I think um, it, like, progressed for me from the, like, soft lock thing to, like, realizing it. Oh, I missed an item that I can't get anymore. Yeah, I'll just go back a couple saves. And then, like, oh, wait, yeah. I lose this character if they die? Well, I'll just go back a couple saves. Like, when, when Fire Emblem Awakening came out, 
and they just gave me the option mm. to have characters not die uh, if they died in yeah. combat. I was like, oh, I'm absolutely doing that because otherwise I'm just going to do the same scumming thing. Um, but, like, there are games where I couldn't do that. Like, if I remember right, I could be misremembering this, but I don't think you could do it in, like, The Sims. And I'm pretty sure when I was a kid, I had made, like, a family that was, like, me and some of my friends from school and a girl I had a crush on. And she got electrocuted, and I couldn't get her back. And I was like, "No, nope, I quit. I'm done." Like, <laughs> no, I ne- never. I mean, that's some sort of experience. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I think I only did it one time in my XCOM playthrough. Um, sure. So, uh, mild spoilers. The the point to where I got in the game uh, was, mm-hmm. uh, and I got to and completed the assault on the like alien base that you can get to okay um Mm -hmm. your team of like scientists and engineers discovers that there's a way to get to and find and get in the one of the alien bases on earth uh and i was like totally just killing everything no problem two-thirds of the way through and then i had i like moved one person out of position and found like mm-hmm. five guys and moved another person out of position to head towards them to help them and found three more guys. Yeah. And the next alien mm-hmm. turn, I think four of my six people, all like my highest <laughs> ranking officers, were all killed immediately. It's like, uh <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna back up this one because the rest of my team is absolutely dying here. Yes, that mission is also the first time I can remember uh, getting absolutely wiped. Like, the the difficulty level <laughs> is such a wild increase in that, like, alien... Ba- like, look, it is, it is positioned as, like, a big climactic yes. story moment, but still, you're not expecting to get absolutely blasted in a way that was totally different from every other one. So, yeah, I remember taking quite a few shots yeah. at that at yeah. that mission and and getting to a point where i was like i need to be perfect through mm-hmm. the first part of this otherwise i'll have no shot at the at the second yeah part. so to take people back a bit um for the actual gameplay so you have your troops you start with four um as some of your troops get higher ranked you can unlock to have up to six people in your squad which i did as soon as i could um your troops are dropped into a field wherever you are. You move troops like one at a time, tactics style through the terrain. You have objectives each mission, whether it's like eliminate all the aliens, escort someone to safety, save all the civilians, something like that. Um, and you move up, mm-hmm. taking out aliens as they appear. And then aliens will take their turn as well. They each have unique abilities and powers. Your goal is to take them all out before they take you out fairly simple um aliens will not like generally come out towards you you move up and as you move up you will discover more aliens that are like hiding um generally Mm -hmm. speaking and so a normal mission up to this point would be like a city street with a couple buildings and maybe like five or six aliens fairly straightforward level then you go to this base and there it's like split into two halves that you can travel down 
and there's probably like 20 enemies throughout the whole level and they some of them are like many multiple of the most difficult thing you have fought so far uh which you've never experienced before this yes. moment also and so it yeah like you said it really ramps up the difficulty pretty hard um but when you uh definitely don't fail the first time and really just knock it out of the park knowing kind of generally how things are going to go uh it feels good to to do that but um yeah i mean so even if your characters don't die in a mission they get injured if they get hurt even if you like heal them up in the mission they'll still be injured after and take multiple days to recover um so I think you had mentioned when you were pitching this to me, people having like their sniper that was like their all-star on their team. Um, and that was how it was for me. I had two snipers that once I was at five or six people, I generally had in my party and uh, they both mm -hmm. got gravely injured in a mission. And I had to go, I think two yeah. or three missions without them. Um, mm -hmm. And you really start to miss some of those stronger characters. <laughs> Yes, you do. I think I think it is a a giant pain when it happens, but uh, it, like in hindsight, I appreciated that it forced me to like play the game mm -hmm. differently or to like be you know because without that, there are kind of like pocket strategies of you've got your heavy, you've got your scout, and you've got your snipers that you kind of can like, and then. Usually, at least this is how I played it. I had like a heavy, a scout sort of person, a couple like all around assault people and a couple of snipers. And like that was my comp. And but if you have both snipers get killed or your heavy get killed or injured or whatever the case is, you have to like adapt. And I think it was a uh, this is a thing that a lot of tactic games since have stolen this sort of concept of like injury to force players to like think on their feet and not just reuse the same strategy over. Yeah. And, over and again. I think it works out pretty well. Cause yeah, I definitely was forced to adapt and fully change my strategy. Cause I couldn't just like move a scout person up until I was really close and then found some people and then just have my snipers take them all out. Like I really had to adjust my strategy to account for the fact that I had no snipers anymore for multiple missions. Um, mm -hmm. And I did like that feeling of, because uh, generally, you know, I, my kind of game plan was I won't reload an old save unless it is a like TPK and my whole team is wiped out. Cause then even if I mm -hmm. leave a couple of my like high ranking people behind, like it's such a big blow to the team and I hate like, playing from behind that much um yeah yeah like i i want it to be challenging but i also want my team to feel strong <laughs> so mm -hmm. correct but yeah i think i i generally think that felt pretty good but you know especially early game um i'm assuming once you get into the much later game and your people have a lot more health and abilities and all that kind of stuff that similar to D and D where like early levels, you are so vulnerable, but late, but later levels, mm -hmm. you have a lot of like ways around things. I'm assuming that once you get to a higher level, it's not quite as intensely dangerous. 
um, that like you move one person out of position and they're a hundred percent dead. It's only like probably 80% dead. (laughs) Yeah. I would say like, it does an interesting thing late game where like, uh, so I did not replay this for this. So I'm, I'm remembering, but like to the best of my memory, the way the gameplay loop more or less works is like you move out of cover or you like take a risk and then you need to kill the alien in that turn before yep. they get shots at you or maybe they get a shot, but you, you do not, you have to act before they can react. And if you don't, you have fucked up and you're in danger now. Um, that in that time is the thing that like increasingly the aliens become too strong for you to kill to one shot yeah. all the time. And so you need to like, you also become slightly too strong to one shot. So the like, overall like firefight time of you against an alien or you against a group of aliens becomes less of like who can kill each other first and it becomes more of like a how can i kill you in two rounds instead of three and like that it's that that like becomes extended so i don't know if you necessarily feel more like you get tankier and you feel less under threat but the aliens equivalently also do that and so it 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 you do feel a little safer but it all it just sort of shifts the pace of the game play, if that yeah, makes it sense does. um and that sounds like something that would be interesting to see how i feel about it as as i play more um mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you got through the the alien base, you are to like the turn basically. You you've gotten through like the first. I, I don't know if it's literally the first half. I think it's probably close to like two thirds of the time through the game. But it is it is like the gameplay at that point. I think that is roughly the time it kind of turns from that intro sort of style to a more like I don't know, not gritty, but like a messier yeah. version of combat where like it becomes tougher and tougher to like be clean. On yeah, I figured runs. this was kind of like the mid game, quote unquote, that I was really hitting its yeah. on. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a lot more to talk about with this game besides just the gameplay. So, uh, let's briefly talk about how the game looks uh in general for a game that's over 10 years old most stuff looks pretty good mm-hmm. with a notable exception of the faces of the characters yeah. yep when you when you attempt to make your characters look realistic with the resources you have available to you at the time naturally in a decade things are going to advance to a point that your design looks dated. of course <laughs> um and that's like I was watching like the cutscenes and stuff, and I was like, "Oh, this looks pretty good." And then like a character's face turned to look at me. I was like, "Ah, here's the like 2012 or whatever I was looking for." Uh-huh. Um, something else that looks dated. Uh, the mission hub. Sure, yeah. Uh, you get taken into it is like a side view cross section ant hill design. Um, between missions, you return to the XCOM base where you can expand it by building out new engineering facilities, satellite uplinks, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But imagine you're looking at the broad side of a building, the entire sidewall is sliced off, so you can see inside what's happening in each room, and that is your view. And the second I dropped into this view, I was like, oh no, (laughs) I'm playing a mobile gotcha style game. Exactly. It looks just like a mobile game. (laughs) 
so that is, I would say, a bit dated. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, which there's nothing inherently wrong with it. It's just that like feeling I got as soon as I saw it that I was like, oh yeah. No. It it really really does look like a lot of ads for mobile games nowadays, <laughs> and it is. Um, I hadn't thought about that, and as you started describing it, I had that exact thought of, like, oh boy, that is a lot, like, mobile. Like, the worst kind of mobile game. Yes. Um, but, uh, works generally fine here. Um, you know, most of this, most of the real part of the game is when you're actually playing, um, in, in the battlefield. The stuff here is basically kind of, you go back to the hub... You promote your people, um, which your people game promotions very quickly, yeah. uh, which is good because they die quickly. Um, but they get a lot of cool abilities as they get promoted, so that's great. Uh, you can, there's three kind of like main characters mm-hmm. in the game uh, Bradford, he's like the lead of operations at command, something like that. He gives you your missions. Yeah. Um, Dr. Valen is a scientist who you set up your research projects with, like dissecting an alien corpse to learn something new about it, or, you know, learning how to make the key that will get you into the alien base. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Dr. Shen, who's the engineer who you talk to for, like, building new buildings in your base. Mm-hmm. Um, so you meet with these three, and then they told me to ship out a satellite. Which took me to a view of a bunch of countries with varying panic levels. Yep. And this, of course, brought me flashbacks to the three of us and Kayla playing a little game called Pandemic, specifically the Legacy mm-hmm. Edition. Uh-huh. It just gave me a real nice spike of anxiety as soon yeah. as I saw it. I was like, oh, this is going to make me feel good later yeah. when everything is red and yellow. Uh-huh. Spiked your own <laughs> panic level. Uh, yep, a little bit. Yes. Um, uh, which uh, I, in my playthrough so far, I have not lost any countries. Well, isn't that nice for they... you, Cody? Because <laughs> I lost quite a few. <laughs> uh, I think it's when you, I don't know if it's when you hit five or like if they were to gain another one after five that they like leave XCOM because they don't believe in you anymore or something. Yeah. Um, I definitely have a number that are currently at four. Yep. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it gets to, it, it becomes, I, I think impossible to keep them all. And it is a sort of like Santa Claus esque if they don't believe in you hard enough, you don't exist sort of, um, yeah. energy to, to some of it. But yeah, that, that is the most anxiety. Cause you do, I don't think it's, it's probably theoretically possible to like keep all of them happy, but like it's it's almost impossible to not lose a country at some point, and it feels yeah. very bad. And I assumed with my strategy with money spending that I was going to lose some sure. by end game because there's a lot. Your money is limited. Um, you have like a monthly income, but a month takes quite a while to pass in the game, so you don't get that income very often. And there's not there's definitely not enough to buy everything you would want. And so yep. you could buy build new satellite uplinks at your base and then buy more satellites to put over these countries to help lower their panic levels. Mm-hmm. Or you could ignore that entirely and focus on upgrading your team solely. 
uh, and that's what I did. Amazing. Uh, because you get a lot of, well, because there's so many good upgrades, like just the ability to have six squad members in a mission. Yeah. So I can have like four pretty good ones and like a squaddy who's like the second level and a rookie who's brand new that like if they die, oh, well, I'll have them scout stuff out. But if they survive, they'll get a promotion and then I can start adding them as an actual good member of my team. Mm hmm. Um, I would not be a good military commander, uh, <laughs> uh, but, um, like getting, getting those upgrades were like number one priority for me. Um, because it, it definitely felt like it was pushing you towards, you want to have built your team like horizontally, um, to have a lot of people available so that when a number of people get injured, you still have more left that aren't just, like, a team of six rookies. Yeah, it's too risky to go, like, all in on a small number. Like, you can to a certain extent. You want your, like, crack squad for, like, the the biggest missions, but you can't just totally neglect everyone else. But, yeah, it's, uh, you know, as you get those troops, um, every troop is fully randomized. Um, they start out at, at that rookie level. Um, they get those promotions from like doing things in the field, and they get new classes. Like we a little bit you had talked about earlier. There's like an assault that's mm -hmm. like run and gun, a heavy that is, does explosives, a support that does like healing and smoke grenades, and the sniper that we've already talked about. Mm -hmm. um, and so yeah, getting going horizontal getting a good mix of those um that felt like kind of the play mm -hmm. and in early missions up until that one we talked about i really didn't lose that many people yeah uh, i lost one of my heavies when he was like a lieutenant or a tier above that uh because i didn't know that cars explode if they're on fire yep um and i had him like taking cover behind a car yeah that feeling is bad. went it went between the aliens turn back to my turn and focused over on him, and then the car exploded, and I was like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, he's gone. Yeah, I have, like, a strong memory of hiding someone behind a car immediately after their turn, the car explodes, and so they take a ton <laughs> of damage, and then they're just standing in the open with yep. no cover and almost no health, and I'm like, well, Goodbye, Santiago, or whatever that person's <laughs> name was, because it's not, not lasting from there. Um, but yeah, that generally, like, that is pretty much the whole game. The, mm -hmm. the theming of the game, like, alien stuff, is not a theme I've ever really had, like, much of an interest in. Yeah. I'm, I'm much more interested generally in, like, a fantasy setting... Or, um, you know, we were talking about this, I think, before we started recording with, like, Bethesda games, that mm -hmm. um, the, like, theming of the Elder Scrolls game being, like, an old fantasy world appealing to me. Mm -hmm. The theming of Starfield being, like, space exploration appealing to me. The feeling of Fallout being, like, real-world Earth post-apocalyptic not interesting to me. And I don't know why, but, like, aliens invading real Earth. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's, you know, 
it is the story and the theming is not why I would play this game. Sure. Um, and I will say, yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say the story is like it's an alien invasion story. Like, there's not a whole. I don't remember the story being, like, particularly bad, but I also don't, like... The most interesting stories, again, for me, were, like, the stories I was telling myself about my squad and, like, about seeing a a crew member go from being a grunt or initiate or whatever it is up to, like, the crack shot, like, super experienced member. And, like, that was the stuff that was ruining the story itself is, like, very typical, like alien abduction trying to achieve like body perfection style stuff that was just kind of like fine yeah i don't remember it being particularly bad i don't remember it being particularly unique or memorable yeah it just kind of it's there it exists it's fine (laughs) yeah it's just not you know it is not a story-driven game. And Firaxis is not a story-driven studio. They're a studio that is very focused on the world-building, and they're focused on the gameplay in reverse order, to be honest. It's always like gameplay <laughs> and mechanics first, world-building second, story very distant third. And I think that I, is also true in this game. Are you telling me Sid Meier's Sid Sim <laughs> Golf is not the most uh, riveting story game you've ever played? Okay, one exception that proves the rule. <laughs> well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the the only other thing was we were talking about the snipers before. One of their early upgrades gives them I don't remember what they call it, but it's like squad vision. Um, yeah. where normally you can only fire at someone that you can see, mm-hmm. but they can fire at someone that anyone else on the team can see. Yeah. And it feels really broken for like that early game play style where you have to take out the enemies as quickly as you see them. Uh-huh. It, well, either broken or necessary. Yeah. Um, and I'm assuming that once you get to that late game where things don't die instantly, that maybe some other classes start to catch up like explosive stuff with rockets and things like that, that do a ton of damage. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that felt really good. And boy, did capturing an alien alive feel really hard, which makes sense. But, uh, you basically, the only way to do it is to get extremely close range while they're at extremely low health. Mm-hmm. And have a chance to stun them. Yes. And if you don't, you you're are screwed. Oh, you're it is in open, open season. <laughs> yes, that sucked so bad. That was another one. It just took me so long to to handle the capturing the alien piece. Uh, but yes, it felt really good to get it, but it was very difficult. And I think in terms of the sniper, I had the exact same thing. That's like the first skill I upgraded and it changed the game. I think it goes from broken to necessary. I think it's like broken in the early game Mm -hmm. and then late game. It's like, I can't even imagine not having that. Like it's (laughs) so just like table stakes to what you have to do that it is like, yeah, it, it, it's it opens things up in a way that like, I can't imagine not having at least one sniper with that ability. Yeah. I think that was, I had gotten that ability on both of my snipers. And then the next mission was when they got injured and I could immediately feel like, oof, the not having that on anyone feels pretty bad. Yep. But, um, 
but yeah, the you know the game beyond that is not entirely complicated, so I don't really have a ton of other thoughts on it. Um, I don't know if you had anything else. No, I think it is the thing. It is. Did you did you have any specific characters that you would be very sad to see killed? That you are like that that are the ones you would think about saves coming to make sure they didn't die. Uh, or or th- no, just sort of generally chess pieces. I think. I think the closest would be, and I think it was the same. It must have be like the same base names of characters for your first set, because I think you said the name Rodriguez last time, uh, and that was my sniper's name. Okay. Um, and that would be the closest, because he is like my top ranking officer. Um, I don't remember if he's like a captain or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and like very critical to the team typically uh he hangs back a lot so very rare that he gets hurt besides that one mission Mm. um but uh i i think yeah my general thoughts on that would be like if i had more than three people die in a mission that were all like high ranking yeah i would consider it but otherwise like you know, if he and like two rookies died, um, you know, add it to the like memorial in game <laughs> and keep going. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's fair. Um, only other thing I was going to mention: Have you gotten to the point in the game? I don't remember if it's early or later, where you're fighting uh, enemies called Thin Man. Um, I think those are. Is a skinny the, alien with a suit and a gun. Yeah, it's like one of the first... It's the second alien you meet, besides, like, the little ones that are, like, little... Um, yeah, the little, like... Yes, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. It's just <laughs> golems. They look just like alien golem. Yeah. Uh, I know it's an early enemy. I fucking hate the Thin Man. <laughs> like, they, the, the way Thin Man work is they are, like, humanoid aliens. They wear suits... They can unhinge... They have guns. Like, they look like people. But they also can unhinge their jaw and spit, like, poison clouds at you. Uh They can also, like, jump very far distances. And then they explode into poison when they're killed. And the amount of time I felt like I was safe. And then a thin man would, like, jump into the middle (laughs) of everyone. And I'd have a bunch of people with, like, readied attacks for if anyone came out, they would all kill this stupid thin <laughs> man, and then he would explode and then kill my team. I'd be like, God, think. Think, soldier. Like, don't attack the thin man in the middle of all of you. Like, hold for attack, but not this specific one. Like, no, it's, it's your fault. You told him to go into Overwatch. Clearly. I mean, clearly. <laughs> but it was very, like, I... I uh, I, that's the only enemy I... Re- there were there were definitely more difficult ones, but the Thin Man is the one that I always felt uh, most tilted by uh, playing this game originally. Yeah, once I figured out that you could, like, cure poison from them um, yeah. with, like, a med kit, yeah. uh, a lot of missions I had two supports with three med kits. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'm covered for that. So at least we're good there. But... Uh, yeah, early on, I had a couple people die just to, like, the poison over time. And I was like, oh, well, this... This stinks. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. that... you knew it was coming if you didn't finish the mission in the next, like, two rounds. Right. 
Yeah, bad vibes there. Yeah. Um, okay, if there's nothing else, uh, then it's time for the verdict. So, Cody, if you had to give XCOM Aliens um, <laughs> a yeah or a nah, what would you give it? Uh, I would give it a yeah. Um, so, last episode, I had said that I was pretty sure I had played XCOM 2 for about an hour. Yeah. Uh, turns out, it was actually this game that I had Amazing. played for, like, a half an hour, probably. Sure. And I have no idea why I fell off of it, but I never made it back around to actually giving it a real shot. So mm-hmm. um, I am glad that I have gave it more of a shot. Um, I don't know when I finally have time again in my life <laughs> uh, if I will end up going back to it, um, like if yeah. there's more that I really think I want to get out of it. But I do think that they set up... Um, a very good gameplay loop that feels uh, you feel good when you play well and you feel bad when you totally misplay. Um, But it also does not, it never felt for me like it was the game's fault. It always felt like it was my fault, except for when I was trying to capture a live alien and they just kept running away from me. Yeah, and that or, just or felt like, like the game being mean, but <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, that that would that was slightly different, but like, or to the extent it feels like the game's fault, it's like a I took a chance that I knew had a a percent. Yes. Often you can literally see. I'm like, okay, this is a seventy percent chance to work. I'm gonna take the risk, and then it doesn't work. And I'm like, God, like <laughs> that. But that's that's still my fault at the end of the day. It's not it's not really the game's fault. So yes, I I totally agree. That's that's part of what I liked about this game is it does feel, um, you know, you're playing percentages, but in a way that feels like, uh, in a way that feels like playing blackjack where you're counting cards as opposed to where you're just like rolling slots. And it's the rolling slots that I think can would feel bad. Yeah, and it's also. Um... You know, even if things don't necessarily go your way on a mission, missions generally are pretty quick. Whereas, like, yep. a Fire Emblem mission <sighs> can take a long time. Yeah. Um, and these, for the most part, besides, like, that alien base invasion, went pretty quick. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, it wouldn't take long to get out of the mission, redo a couple things, and jump into the next one and give it another shot. Um, with like a new healthy team again so um, yeah yeah for all those reasons like it will definitely be on the list where if i'm ever at a point where i just want to sit down and play a tactics game for a little bit um that mm-hmm. doesn't have multiple hours of story <laughs> and cutscenes and all that kind of stuff to get through um mm-hmm. this would be high on the list this or potentially trying xcom 2 now for actually for real this time yeah, or trying Football Manager. So I'm glad that that um, uh, this and Football Manager, uh, by extension, are are both yaws in your book. <laughs> I'm, I'm Jury's still it. out on that one, but uh, all right, you we'll know, find we'll, out. We'll get there someday. Someday. All right, middle segment time. Cozy, are you ready? I'm ready. Uh... Then take it away. All right, it is time once again for Get Back to Me in Six Months, the segment where we look back on things that were pitched a long time ago and see 
if you guys are still have the same verdict you had when you first uh, consumed the media. Amazing. I love this segment. It's already been six months. This seems crazy. It's been more than that. Because uh, <laughs> I like pulled everything through last December. Uh, mm. So I that's more than well, six so months ago. Nine months. Yeah. Or eight Boy. months. I can't math. All right. Uh, so the first uh, item on the list is episode 36. Uh, the pitch that or what we reviewed that episode is Castlevania. Tim, you were a yaw mm. on Castlevania. Uh, have you changed your mind or had any other thoughts? No, I'm still definitely. I think I think my thoughts on Castlevania are the same as uh, the ones I gave on the podcast, probably, where like I really liked that first season. I still think that first season of that show is great. I still have basically no desire to like watch any more of it, but yeah. that first season of Castlevania was super strong. I still haven't finished it, so. The, the, <laughs> Amazing. Like, I think they had four seasons. Oh, the full series. And I haven't, yeah, I yeah. think, sure. I still haven't finished the, or watched the fourth season, but. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm definitely still a yeah on that first season. Nice. Uh, and the episode 37, uh, Cody, you reviewed Exandria Unlimited Calamity, the first three episodes, uh, <laughs> which you were a yeah on. Uh, how do you feel about calamity now i mean i feel like we've talked about this now like four different times because fairly recently yeah and yeah. also fairly recently so i'm pretty sure you're still yeah on this but oh yeah definitely i i think you know still undoubtedly a like high bar set for um live play D D that uh feels hard to compete with um and it's not something to be competed with really yeah um but it yeah it's if if you are to watch any amount of live play D D to like this is the peak of it, but also might skew your expectations for some of your live play D D a bit. Yeah, it has it has low key ruined a lot of actual play for me. Yeah, but I'll take it for as good as it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. Episode thirty-eight. Uh. Tim, you reviewed Severance, with you, which you were a yaw on. Uh, continued thoughts on Severance? Still great. I think there are only two TV shows that I've seen since that I think are in the same bracket or maybe a little better that I've liked a little better than Severance. Um, it's like up there with my favorite shows I've watched. I'm super excited for season two whenever that uh, comes out, once the, the different strikes are ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. Okay. Uh, episode 39. Uh, Cody, you reviewed Control, uh, which you were a yaw on the part that you played. Uh, curious if you ever ended up going and getting any further in Control or uh, how you feel about it now. Uh, I did not go back and play any more of it yet. Uh, yeah, one of the many <laughs> things that are on my list to do. Um, I did just build this new computer that I can, uh, try it out on like super max settings with ray tracing and all that stuff so uh, it is actually on my list of things to um, go back to and try to finish Um, but i have not realistically played anymore since the review but still a yaw because it was very cool nice 
It's so fun to do these segments because I have no idea what I even pitched, let alone <laughs> what I consumed. So it's so to be like, oh, yeah, I did pitch control. Yep. <laughs> Same boat. Well, some of these I was like, for some reason, because I watched Severance before it got pitched on the podcast. And usually if I've seen a thing before it's pitched, Tim is the one pitching it. Mm. Um, but So I was confused that Tim was the one reviewing <laughs> Severance. Because I forgot that that was somehow Cody and I had watched Severance and uh-huh. not Tim. Because that's mm-hmm. not how that normally goes. <laughs> right. Um. All right. Episode 40. Uh, Tim, you might remember this one. You reviewed Old Man's War, uh, which you were <laughs> oh, yeah. not on. Uh, have you changed your mind on Old Man's War in the I'm past sure you have. Uh, year or so? Have I changed my mind? What a fascinating question about old man's war. No, I feel very confident in my... uh, uh, Here's what I will say. I'm a yaw on that episode of our podcast. That's still my favorite episode we've recorded other than our our Outer Wilds deep dive. Tim loves any Um, opportunity to give a really long rant about something. Yeah. Was that needed? Was that little comment needed? I feel like it's relevant to this podcast episode because you started (laughs) off the podcast with a rant. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, still not. Definitely still not on Old Man's War. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Okay, episode 41. Uh, Cody, you reviewed James Acaster's various specials, which you were a yeah on. Uh, How do you... that was I forgot what I was saying. Uh, how do you still feel about those specials? Uh, still, I have. I mean, I haven't like rewatched them, but still, still a fan of his specials. Still a fan of him as a person. I just watched an episode of uh, uh, what is it? Eight out of ten cats does countdown the other day, where he was one of the guests on the show. He's the same as ever, and still very funny. So, yeah, still yeah for me. Just the goat, the yeah. goat. Very funny. Um, okay, episode 42, uh, Tim, you reviewed Celeste, which you were a yaw on, um, maybe surprisingly for a platformer. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you still feel about Celeste? Um, I'm still a, a yaw. I, I mean, Celeste is just not for me. It just is not, like, platformers like that are just not for me. But, like, I'm still a yaw on the game as a concept or like like <laughs> i still i i could see the quality i could feel the quality it's like an experience i didn't enjoy but i'm <laughs> i'm more or less glad to have had it so i'm still i'm like a narrow i'm st- i'm i'm i think i'm in a similar place where like i'm still a narrow yawn on celeste okay. it's like it is a platform where i finished and there are so few of those so like that in and of itself, I think is worthy of a yaw. Counts for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, episode forty-three. Uh, Cody, you reviewed All or Nothing Arsenal, um, which you were a yaw on. Uh, any lasting thoughts on that? See, the problem with this is I keep saying the same thing over and over. I feel like I'm just repeating myself, so I keep like. Stumbling. I love it. It's so fun <laughs> to hear how you slightly change it up. Oh yeah, thing every thing. time. Okay. Uh, but yeah, what do you think uh, about All or Nothing Arsenal now? Um, I still enjoyed it uh, at the time. It's it has not gotten me into watching Premier League matches <laughs> at all. But at least when uh, Tim is uh silently screaming at the TV uh <laughs> as we watch an Arsenal match and I see Arteta on the bench 
I can be like, hey, I recognize that guy and I know his name. Uh, <laughs> that might have happened last weekend. Yeah. yeah. Perhaps a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's still a very cool way to see some of the like back end operations and things of a top tier sports team. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. So still a yeah for me. Yeah, well, if you're really interested in the All or Nothing series, I, I believe oh the gosh. one before Arsenal is their uh, their rival. They're like arch rival. Uh, Tottenham didn't wasn't there you a Hotspur watch that one? one? Too. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yes, there was a Hotspur like one. They fired their coach out, that, that season, <laughs> and uh, I'm fine to watch that one. They f- that was the season Spurs fired their coach and the team imploded. So I'd be more than happy to watch <laughs> yeah, that season okay. too. Maybe it'll get me to root for them. As a, like an underdog. There kind you of go. Team. Mm. Oh, they're awful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, episode forty-four. Uh, Tim, you reviewed uh, Super Giant Game Bastion, which you were a yaw yeah. on. Uh, get, I think we talked about this literally last week's or last pa- yep. podcast episode. So I'm assuming you're still a yaw on that game. Yeah, still a. So like we just talked about. Um, Transistor, truly, I think last, maybe the episode before last, I believe. Maybe, I don't know. I can't keep the track. I just said I can't even remember what I pitched, let alone, like, what I reviewed. <laughs> um, so, yes, I'm silly on Bastion. My whole pitch on Transistor was, like, I liked it, but I think it's the, the my, like, least favorite Supergiant game. The more I think about it, the more I think I might be wrong. I think I maybe like Transistor better than Bastion. I think Bastion, I, I just the vibes of Transistor, the music in Bastion is yeah. better, but like the mm-hmm. art style and just the like vibes of the setting of Transistor, I can see myself thinking about more in the future than Bastion. So I think I'm actually like a little lower on Bastion than when I gave that review and a little higher on Transistor <laughs> than I was like a week ago. Um, okay. But I, oh, at the end of the day, I'm still a yawn Bastion. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, episode 45. Uh, Cody, you uh, we had special guest Kyle on the podcast and you guys reviewed Outer Wilds Echoes of the Eye, uh, which Hell you were yeah. yaw on. Hell yeah. Um, as everyone knows, Outer Wilds is the goat of all time. Uh, the goat of all the time. The goat of all time. <laughs> the goat of all time. Honestly, I stand by that. Um, <laughs> our favorite media ever reviewed on uh, the podcast. Uh, so how do you still feel about the DLC? I mean, how do you still feel? That's not leading at all. How do you still <laughs> feel about the DLC? Of the goat of all time. <laughs> uh, I mean, I still think about uh, the various moments of the game, particularly my favorite streaming moment where uh, I thought I was safe <laughs> on the Invisible Bridge and certainly wasn't. Um, uh, yes, just, that was really good. It was a very... It, it only added to... Uh, how great Outer Wilds was just yes. in so many different ways and still a big fan e- easily the biggest yaw yeah uh the code of hopefully yes. it still uh it still comes back to you not haunting your nightmares with how scary it was <laughs> uh and just only the good things yes no uh only the good things 
Uh, okay, episode 46. Uh, Tim, you reviewed the both the comics and the movies for Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Mm. Uh, and you were a not on the comics and a ya on the uh, movie. Any uh, any other thoughts on that? I don't even know. <laughs> uh, what, what do you think now? You want to take like three more <laughs> shots at it? We see what else you can come up with. No, I really don't. All right, fair enough. Um... Good question. I think I'm still the same. I think my feelings on the comics have probably softened a little bit. Like, I, when I think back to it, I more remember the stuff that I liked versus the stuff I disliked. Kind of like your feelings with well, Old Man. The thing you said about the comics were... <laughs> the opposite <laughs> of my feelings with Old Man's War. I've only hardened against the Old Man's War, but... Um, you didn't dislike the comics. You just felt like it took I too long like to read them. Time. Yeah. Right, and so I'm removed from the time spent <laughs> uh, on the comics. I, I think I think I'm probably still basically a gnaw on the comics. Like, I don't think I would, like, recommend them probably to other people unless I knew they were, like, huge fans of Scott Pilgrim yeah. or something. Um... But I, I'm still a yaw in the movie, and I'm curious to see what this new... Aren't they coming out with, like, an animated version? I think they're Netflix coming... Yeah, something? it's like an animated series with, like, the same voice... The same people who played the characters in the movie as the voice actors. I'm not entirely yeah. sure. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, it, I don't think the comics are probably the correct entry point for the series. Uh, but I think, yeah. like, if you watch the movie who knows how the series will be if the series is good watch the series like if you watched those and liked them then like going back to the comics for a little bit of extra flavor and a different view yeah. on a couple things maybe cool um but yeah i can definitely i can definitely see that and then of course uh the game which i have not pitched you probably won't uh is like <laughs> one of my I favorite beat em up game. games ever <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I do feel like possibly the uh, because of how similar the comic and the movies are, or the the comics in the movie are, like watching them within one week of each other, or and reading it within yeah. a week of each other may or may not have like true harmed my uh, affected your experience of it. Because I feel like with a little more like time apart, those might feel a little different too. Mm -hmm. Like if you read the comics and then two years later saw the movie uh, versus like, cause so much of the movie is like shot for shot. What happened in the comics that you literally just might've read two days ago. So yeah, I think that might uh, have colored your experience in a way as well. Possibly, but I'm definitely not reading those (laughs) comics again. Yeah. (laughs) Fair. Uh, Okay. Uh, And the final one for today's middle segment, uh, bringing us to December of 2022, uh, Cody, you reviewed the Phil Alvarum albums, uh, most of which you were a ya on, except for uh, Glow Part Two. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yep, I ha- can safely say I have not gone back and revisited any of them. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah, shocked. <laughs> no one could have guessed it. Um, you remember the mood to just feel really sad? You lot? know. Uh, maybe someday I'll be at that point. I have not been in the last nine <laughs> months, and I'm very glad about that. So, <laughs> um, I mean, hard to refute my review of uh, them from back then. Um, I think my thoughts on them are still the same 
Um, just uh, how like sad they are, but also like open and vulnerable. Um, you know, hard generally to review in a critical sense. Yeah. But um, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, my thoughts on them would still be the same today. Sure. Hard to be like, this is a nod. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, listening to those albums. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you for uh, taking this trip down memory lane of our podcast, uh, where every six months we uh, remember the things we pitched uh, just a mere six months ago, or nine months in this case, uh, because I was took forever to get back to the segment. So, uh, all right. Uh, in six months, we'll probably, well, maybe three months, we'll do it again. Awesome. You Seamless. Think- As always. As always. <laughs> All right, it is time for the last segment. Uh, Cody, what do you have to pitch to me this week? Yeah, uh, Tim, I'm going to cut right to the chase on this one because you already know what I'm pitching you because it's a book and I gave it to you the last time I saw you. This is take two, I think. Oh, I technically I did pitch you the comic book. So this is, I think, the third third Mm -hmm. book, second a book that's more focused on words than pictures. Um, Sure. I think it's safe to say. World of Warcraft has been a big part of both of our gaming careers, as it were. Uh, I started playing roughly at launch, which was November 2004, when my mom told my older brother Mm -hmm. that he needed to let me and my middle brother take a turn to. Um, When about (laughs) did you start playing? Because I can't remember. Uh, I started playing when roughly when the first expansion came out. So, like... When I was 12 or 13-ish, okay. like 2006 or seven. Okay, I thought. Like so a little I thought it was you. something. It was either like the first or second expansion somewhere on there. So starting in yeah. the original base vanilla World of Warcraft before any expansions were out, the game was so much more focused around like exploration and not about like the end game like it is now. Whereas like... In current modern World of Warcraft, your goal is hit the max level and then do everything at max level. Whereas back then it was like, there's so much to do and explore in this huge world. Like, I don't care about hitting max level. I just want to go, like, do everything. Um, This was also around the time when I was starting to get into, like, the idea of, like, modding games, making games, um, messing with games in ways that I could. And I played a lot of world of warcraft with my cousin connor um and he was very mm. much into the same thing we would uh, we made games in like game maker studio back then um but in wow a lot of our time was spent finding ways to like mess with or break it in whatever ways we could um like accessing areas that weren't made to be accessed through normal play editing game files to like make things appear as something else like making it look like <laughs> my character had the coolest looking end game armor, even though I was only like level 30. Um, and it's because mm-hmm. of things like that, um, given my past interest in game design and like how much I'm still into like computer science type stuff now, um, that I found this book so interesting and is why I'm pitching it to you to get your difference in perspective on it. Um, is the writing mm-hmm. impeccable? No. 
But John Stats was a 3D <laughs> level designer for World of Warcraft, not a professional author. So I'm not going into this like expecting top tier, best of the best writing. Because this is... Mm-hmm. Um, so for some setup to what this is, um, John Stats was... Uh, I think he worked in marketing... Uh, in like New York's advertising, advertising, I, I believe. Yeah, I read like the okay. first intro of this uh, on the plane after um, he handed it to me. Yeah, he worked in yeah advertising in like New York City, uh, and but had spent all of his free time modding games. Um, I think it was Quake, making like levels in Quake, and um just like submitted that he like saw the job listing and submitted them for like their new up and coming mystery game. And he ended up getting, they offered him a job at like 20,000 less than he was currently making. And he like accepted it in a heartbeat and moved to become a professional video game designer or like level designer. Um, (laughs) And so about six months into working at blizzard, he decided he wanted to start, a like development journal of how things were going on the game, both stuff that he was working on, but he would also interview other people across other teams and talk to them about the things that they were working on. And he has discussions about like different game conferences that they would go to and show off what they had so far. And like the rush to have different things set up to be ready and like how, um, how fragile the game really is at that point with like what specifically they want to show audiences. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. for me reading about that aspect of game design is so interesting, but also the fact that it's a game that I have spent by far the most time playing of any video game in my life over the last like 18 years since it came out, like having those two things hand in hand, um, I just found this book incredibly interesting. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I know that there are, is also ha- colored a bit, uh, given by, uh, Blizzard's, <laughs> uh, controversies coming out into the open over the last few years. Um, that is not mm-hmm. touched on in this book. Uh, you know, that it is what it is. Um, so yeah. I'm sure you'll have maybe a thought or two on that as we talk about it in the next episode. Uh, <laughs> but I still think that from the like video game development side of things, um, it was a very interesting read, and I'm curious to see what you think of it. Yeah, I mean, like like uh, we've talked about, I already have this book, and I've started to... Uh, read into it a little bit I think I am also I mean just to completely repeat everything you just said this is a game that I've played a lot of and so it is just super interesting from a historical perspective and he clearly uh, you are correct this is not exactly beautiful (laughs) prose it's not exactly uh, professional writing so like uh, that I will have to get over to uh, enjoy this book um but he's clearly extremely passionate about like the project and it's a game I've spent 
I don't even want to <laughs> try to guess how many hours in. Um, and so, like, I'm super interested from that perspective. And I'm also just super, super interested already. And I'll save my my early thoughts. But, like, both from a... I'm super, super interested in reading this to learn about game design, but also to learn about, like, the culture of mm-hmm. game development... Uh, at a studio like this in the early 2000s, both, uh, as you referred to, the, like, blatant sexual harassment and, and um, like, boys' club-style environment that, I, again, I'm, I know will not be touched on because John Stats gave an interview when this when all of this news uh, was happening to Fortune magazine saying, like, that was not my experience at Blizzard at all. So I'm sure that yeah. that's not going to come out here. Um, but also just, like, the culture feels i suspect and from the little pieces i've taken feel very much like i mean the way that this is written is very much okay i need to not just like <laughs> give my whole verdict in this this little intro but it is fascinating because it's a diary yes. it's the wow diaries right so like it is this person's experience of making this game and I, so like this as a first party source not as a like definitive this is what it was like to work at blizzard but this is this person's interpretation of his experience of working at blizzard as like a source of what game development was like at this time like i it's the like sociological aspect that is most interesting to me and i'm i'm curious to dig into yeah and i'm i'm rereading it right now still um because it has been i read it when it first came out which i think was five or six years ago now. Um, and so it's mm-hmm. been that long since I've reread it. And so now I'm getting to reread it with the like lens of all of those controversies coming out, just kind of like coloring it a little bit as I read about their different like crunch times and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I will, I'll be interested to, to hear your thoughts once you've finished it. Yeah, it's it at the end of the day, no matter what, I think it's a fascinating like mm-hmm. artifact of its time. So, uh so yeah, I'm I'm psyched to actually get some time to dig into it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Hard Cell. Um as always, send us your thoughts, future pitches or or thoughts on the media we've covered to hardcellshow at gmail.com. Uh, you can tweet thoughts at us uh, on Twitter at Hard Sell Show. Um, we are on Twitch at Hard Sell Show. Kyle and I are still doing our weekly streams of Baldur's Gate 3 at 12 p.m. Pacific, uh, 2 p.m. Central Time. So check it out. We're at the time of recording. We are about to get into some wildness with some druids. Uh, that probably will be still in progress by the time this episode comes out. <laughs> so uh, tune in and check it out. Um, But we will be back two weeks from release time with my review of the WoW Diaries by John Stats. Uh, And until then, we'll catch you on the flippity-flop. Catch you on the floopity-flop. Floopity-flop.